what, is it the Sigma male? <laughs> who, the who red are, pill Sigma male? <laughs> well, the one that like- I love this phenomenon. It's crazy. <laughs> So last week, uh, my daughter, uh, who is five, um, she had an interesting conversation with my wife. She was, uh, she's currently struggling with like dealing with lying, like kind of wrestling with that capacity of like, why can't I just say that I didn't do something if I can clearly get away with it? There are no witnesses. Um, kind of Raskolnikov. But um, <laughs> the... Uh, so she, she's an axe murderer. Yeah, exactly. She was like, I think I could get away with this. I mean, basically. Um, she was, my wife was putting her to bed and she was uh, about to close the door. And my daughter was like, mommy, what happens if a, a man is pretending to be a doctor and he gives us medicine, but it's actually poison? Like, how do we know that he's not a, a doctor like how do we know that he's not telling the truth and my wife was about to answer and she's like i i think we'll just i think we'll just ask him if he's bad or good and that's how we'll know um so my wife didn't think anything are you lying yeah i know exactly yeah yeah no. um my wife didn't think anything of it but the more i've been thinking about that question Made me think about, because she seems like the type of person to like ponder on things, my daughter, like right at the end of the day, like things will just kind of come up and she'll yeah, bring in sure. these like, before she goes into the slumber and to the dream state to like <laughs> reconcile with her life. Examination um, of conscience right before bed. You know, yeah. I mean, no, so, yeah. Sometimes yeah. it happens to me. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sure. thinking about a lot of things, uh -huh. a lot of philosophical or big things. Yep. Yeah. I think that's kind of normal. But um, It made me think that it seems like she's kind of reconciling with, maybe not consciously, but... Um, something like if I lie, then how do I know that everybody else is not lying? You know, like if I'm going to live as if I'm a liar, how can I verify that anybody else is telling the truth? Mm. Um, it made me think about the things like the hermeneutic of suspicion, you know, this constant suspicion about everything and everyone. Um, if you live a certain way, um, it also reminded me of crime and punishment and how Raskolnikov tries to get away with murder, but then goes insane. So it's like it, it like literally changes your lens as opposed to just be like, oh, don't do that because it's morally bad. Like it, it changes your whole persona and your like uh, orientation to life. Um, and I think she's like wrestling with something like that. Of, like mm -hmm. realizing like, wait a minute, if I do that, how do I know that other people aren't doing that? And the answer is like, well, maybe you shouldn't do it. And then you can then you can actually start to uh, like wrestle with the tension of trust and, and distrust. Yeah. 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 I mean uh – yeah, if you are going to behave a certain way, I think it's safe to say that that's the way that you're going to expect other people to behave too. And so, like you said, it just it, it does color your entire worldview. Um, it makes trusting people that much harder. But uh, on the other hand, too, I think Peterson bring, brings this up. Where he says, you know, we're first born into um, a, a world where we're just totally innocent and trusting. And then once we have that trust broken, like as we grow up and we experience rejection, we experience um, people breaking our trust, uh, there's a tendency to just not trust anybody ever again, right? You, you realize that the world is not as um, good as you mm -hmm. first uh, imagined it, it, it was. But he said there's two options after that point where your trust is broken is that you can either trust again or you can just distrust and resent right um but if you trust again you're you know you're acting as though you were uh as you did before that trust is broken in the sense that like you know you're, you're trusting again and it almost like it's, it's almost like you're acting innocently but you there's this underlying knowledge that actually the world is not as innocent as um I thought it was right, when I was right. a child. Right? right. So trust doesn't necessarily mean you go back to an, in a naive state. No, right. And right. It's, it's built off of this knowledge. Like a mature trust is uh, difficult to achieve, but it's also very beautiful because you're acting innocent, but you are not innocent mm -hmm. in a sense. Mm -hmm. Innocent in that, like yeah, yeah. Jordan Peterson. Naive. Yeah. Naive, naive, naivete, yeah. Um, now, I'm wondering if that, that, that person, 
like all, to relate it back to your story, um, I'm wondering if that person who trusts after um, he's been um, broken and met with distrust, uh, does that person then see the world differently than the person who doesn't trust? Because they both know that the world is, mm. you can't really trust mm-hmm. people willy-nilly, right? Um, it seems like more of an individual choice saying, like, I know that you might be a liar, but I'm going right. to decide to. Right. Yeah, I mean, it does seem like uh, somebody who doesn't trust anybody and the person who has a mature trust can have, like, a conversation where they agree a lot with each other, like those two people. Yeah. Um and so, like, yeah, like, nobody's trustworthy. Am I right? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and just, like, have that discussion and agreement. But then it's what they do after that that decides how they live their life. Like, that's what something like faith is. That's what something like hope or, like, even, like, Peterson talks about this, too. Like, he talks about, um, I think in one of his uh, biblical lectures, he's talking about the, the phenomena of eBay and how, like, when eBay came around, there were companies that were, like, trying to get in onto the hype and being like, we can be a verification company, like a middleman, so that you don't send me a check that bounces and I don't send you a box of dirt. Yeah. Um, but that quickly became non-applicable. Like nobody needed that because there was just this kind of like trust between everybody and it worked for some reason. Um, and, you know, obviously then there's a verification system. You get ratings on your account and whatever. Yeah. So there's ways to actually see if this person's trustworthy. But... For the most part, there was just trust transactions happening, and that's like the foundation for society. And for it to like, in, in order to move forward at all with any relationship, from like uh, familial to governmental, economic, yeah. it has to be built on this. Like, yeah, some people are shady, but I'm gonna extend my hand and see what happens, and then and then orient after that, you know, and like see what happens, and then just con- continuing to pivot as like this person's not trustworthy, but yeah. that doesn't mean everybody isn't, and it's constant evolving in that trust thing. But if you just cut that off. Then you, then you're done. Right. There's yeah. nobody else you can. Well, and, and that's like going back to Peterson's point. You can't build any relationship without trust. And even though that, that may seem daunting, especially for people who have really gotten burned, uh, the only alternative is to live in isolation and anger. Right. And like that's mm-hmm. not. That's just intuitively we know that's not a way to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, so trust is almost. Um, it's not almost. It is necessary for life. It it, it has to be. Um, but building up that trust again, if you have been burned, um, can take a lifetime. Like you know, people are, people aren't meds for that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's traumatic. Um, there's therapy involved. Uh, but it's like you know, what is the other yeah. alternative? I was thinking of <clears throat> the, um, the prime example is Christ on the cross. Um, you know, the way Peterson put um, the story of Christ going to the cross was really um, poignant when he said, this is a story of utter rejection. Christ was, uh, uh, he was burned by his religion, burned by the state, and burned by his friends, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all of them ran away from him and brought him to the cross, ultimately. Uh, and yet, our Lord does not choose resentment in the face of that. Right, he knows what it's like to be, um, to have his trust betrayed, uh, and yet he gives himself for all people, and that allows him then to be opened up for eternal life. And what we see after the resurrection is an immense love of Christ, where Christ is now um, like the Godhead, where people now sacrifice to him and for him and in mm-hmm, him. Right, mm-hmm. uh, and so. It, like it, Christ experiencing that distrust, opening himself up to that, still trusting anyway, giving himself to the Father, um, then allows for him to have the most like the ar- archetypal relationships, <laughs> as yeah. it were, you know. Um, and so when we look to Christ at the cross, we see that that Peterson pattern, uh, and it's it's a, I think it's a way if you know practically speaking, if we're struggling with trust to see like well this is what Christ did, and if we're imitating him. Then, uh, then I can be burned, but I can also trust and hope mm-hmm. that there will be life and love at the end of that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but Ella should yes trust a doctor <laughs> in general. So, <laughs> it, it is a it's a <clears throat> very Cartesian of her mm-hmm. to begin with radical doubt. 
Yes. You know, yeah. it's like you yeah. see a doctor and your first sense is maybe he's not who he says he is. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. For sure. <laughs> um, but uh, in my quest to understand Jung better, it's taking me down many paths. And one of them is uh, hermeneutical existential phenomenology. Which is there wow. a lot there? Yeah, this is a big word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I guess there's a, a hermeneutical um, tradition of phenomenology, which is Martin Heidegger. Okay. And then you have the existential tradition of phenomenology, which is Sartre. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I guess um, her- interpretive or hermeneutical phenomenology understands that we uh, interpret not just text, but people and, and, and events. Um, and mm-hmm. that it's supposed to be a subject-subject relationship and not necessarily subject-object. So even people, there's a, a bit of like an interpretation going on mm. among people. And each uh, when you interpret something, it, it brings meaning out to you. It makes you uh, – uh, it, it impacts you more than just, um, like I said, as, as an object. Mm-hmm. But some of, their, some of the like hermeneutical existential uh, principles are that uh, one is truth is an, is an event. So it's mm-hmm. something that you participate in as opposed to an observation. So uh, I think, you know, for someone like Heidegger, um, perception isn't theoretical and detached, but more hermeneutical in that you engage in a relationship with this text or this person mm-hmm. and, it, and it draws out meaning. Right, mm-hmm. right. So when you were talking about, um, you know, your daughter having to take this leap of faith, it's like, well, she has to kind of participate in this game uh-huh. of like maybe the doctor isn't real mm-hmm. maybe he is but you can't really tell until you get into the game right. get into the event um yep. and you can use a hermeneutic of suspicion and interpret everybody as uh perhaps not telling the truth or everybody is evil mm-hmm. <laughs> but see how that works out again participate right. you right. use that hermeneutic and get out there and doubt everything right so, so it's back. hermeneutic. Say that again. The three, uh, hermeneutical, existential phenomenology. I technically, I think hermeneutical and yep. existential are separate. Okay. Um. So you have like Edmund Husserl, who's like the father of mm-hmm. phenomenology, mm-hmm. and then like from there you have Heidegger, who took it more interpretive, and then I think from Heidegger you have, um, Sartre, mm-hmm. who oh, takes right? it okay. as existential. Interesting. So apparently that's what Jung is. He's he's all three. He's a hermeneutical <laughs> existential <laughs> phenomenologist. Yeah. Well, that that um kind of reminded me of uh was well one of going back to Peterson. This is not an episode on Peterson, but you know he he's very insightful on this. Well, stuff. he does have a rule. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I was going you know, to. Was it um, t- uh, tell the truth, or is it uh, tell the truth, or, or at least don't lie? Yes. Oh, I was actually Chapter thinking eight. of well, the other okay. eleven rules. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a few rules actually. Um. The one that he talks about where um, always assume that you can learn something from the person you're talking to. Mm. Is that one of the rules? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that can only happen on a basis of trust, right? If you're approaching somebody or a text as an object, uh, then you're not going to – you're going to impose your own uh, your own biases, you know, your, your own uh, assumptions on whatever you're interacting mm-hmm. with. But if you treat the person as a subject, saying like, "There's something about you that's mysterious that I can learn from," yep. um, that's where you're gonna learn, right? You're, you're not gonna be uh, closed off to, to learning. But um, but again, that can only happen with a foundation of trust, because if you're going into approaching whatever it is you're approaching um, distrustingly, then like, how are you open, right? Distrust, right. I think, automatically assumes that like you are closed off mm-hmm. to letting that thing or person within you. And so yeah. there's no opportunity to uh, to learn. From that. Yeah, that's so. rule nine. Assume the person that you are listening to might know something you don't. Yeah. And then rule eight is tell the truth or at least don't lie. And then there's also treat yourself, which is rule two, treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping, which is interest- interesting because if you treat yourself as if you're responsible for somebody, you treat yourself like somebody you're responsible for helping. If my daughter treats herself and allows herself to lie as if she was somebody else that she would like that person can be allowed to lie. That's what she's wrestling with. If mm-hmm. like if I'm allowing myself to lie and I'm treating myself as if I was somebody else who I would give advice to, then I'm telling everybody else they can lie. 
and now now I'm suspicious of it. Yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah, right. Or the other route is to assume that is to uh, take for granted people's trust. Like pe- the other people don't lie, but mm-hmm. I, therefore I can lie because mm-hmm. they they they're just trusting right that what I'm saying is true, and so you can begin to kind of warp yeah uh, people's perceptions or right. Um, the narrative about yourself that you're presenting. Right. That sounds pathological. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, well, I'll well, look that, into that it. is part of the like pathological uh, lying symptoms. It's like, I'm going to play on the fact that other people, they go by the rules, but I don't have to go yeah, by no, the rules. For sure. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You know, I mean, that, that is you separate yourself That's, from reality. Right. It's you, yeah. you, ha- you play yeah. by the rules. I don't. Therefore, I'm going to manipulate right. you yeah gavin newsom like everybody yeah. nobody no guns for anybody but i have private security <laughs> <laughs> right right rules for rules for the not for, for, not me. for me yeah yeah um, um well yeah. hold on so going back to the hermeneutic of suspicion doesn't john verveke contrast that with the hermeneutic hermeneutic of beauty right yeah and so um instead of approaching something suspiciously and distrustingly um to open yourself up mm-hmm. um and that it would be considered I like the the way that he uses that term beauty. Yeah. Um where it's like that trust has to be based off of uh, an assumption of goodness and then that that action um and a potential for hurt mm-hmm. is something beautiful mm-hmm. there. Um yeah, it's receptive. It's that like kind of feminine yeah. approach. So, uh, you know, I'm wondering too if you uh, if you approach if you approach people in a distrusting way um, does that mean you approach reality too? Like, you know, your example with um uh, approaching texts as like subjects versus objects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was thinking how you can approach all of reality like that. And so you're closed off to experience in general, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you'd say like, well, I'm not going to do this because, you know, I might get hurt or I might not like it. I might be a waste of time. Uh, and everything is like distrusting of, you know, a potentially more experience to open up yourself, mm-hmm. open yourself up to the world. Uh but I think that that's based off of our interactions with people, uh, and that just yeah. Like, sure. So it does color yeah. your reality entirely, yeah. not just people, but the world itself. Uh, yeah, I mean, like going like it wasn't it Sartre who said hell is other people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so like speaking of that whole existential, like view of the world, it's like if you are going to go about the world thinking that everybody's a liar, everyone's out to get you, because you lie and you're out to get everybody else. Then yeah, hell is other people. Like yeah, like the world mm-hmm. and people are like just as bad as you are. What was the um? What was the novel that Sartre wrote? Um, that we read in uh, Flight for Woman was an example. It was nausea, nausea, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's his, yeah, that's just popular. The, one. Those, the, mm-hmm. I haven't read the whole novel, but the excerpts that um mm-hmm. we read, uh, was fascinating. How like he describes just like a tree as something totally repugnant to him. It was almost disgusting, like you know the the way that he described like the textures of the bark is like something that was like oozing out, mm-hmm. and it was just very, well, yeah, going in line with the title, not like nauseating. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's someone who is so closed in on himself who can't open himself up to other things, that the the things that should be beautiful to him are now disgusting, and he can, and he's like not even comfortable in his own skin, like even himself, the person who distrusts is uh, he's not even comfortable with himself. And so hell is not only just other people for the isolated person, but it's also hell is also himself. Like, yeah, you know, sure. like mm-hmm. you can't even be with yourself. You know? Yeah. And so. the, th- the thing that was getting me on this thought with my daughter is that like this is not something I want to impose on her as a moral rule, as a like, oh, I need to intercept here and tell her the right thing to do as opposed to like, Watch who you become when you do that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's really this, like, being versus doing mode um, of, like, obviously she's young and so can't quite grasp that. But I'm, I'm still, like, trying to plant seeds in a way of, like, see what happens when you live this way, how that changes, how that makes you suspicious of everybody, how you think that everybody's going to take your toys or whatever it is. It's like maybe if you extend the hand out and trust and share, you know, like, even mm-hmm. those concepts. It's not, like, share because that's the rule. It's share because it makes you a better person and see the re- and the see the world in a better way. Yeah. I will admit I never at that age I never <laughs> would have thought like is my doctor not a doctor. I don't know. I just <laughs> that maybe is, it's post covid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <That's>, right. <laughs> Can we trust scientists? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I think that's um that's the right way to go about it. Of uh, I think Peterson talks about that in that chapter eight uh, about kind of dividing yourself up between the person who speaks and the other person who watches and judges mm-hmm. um, to see uh, how truthful you are, and even even the subtle ways in which you um you don't you don't tell the truth, but then to to take it the next step and play it out, as you said. And just like see how the world cannot function this way if if everybody starts playing your game, yeah. Uh, you, it, it is it is personally self destructive and not just um, uh, just like you said like a moral commandment of like well you know you, you shouldn't you shouldn't do this. Um, and uh, in existentialism they talk they talk about it like the authenticity versus inauthenticity. Mm-hmm. So uh, authenticity is more individualistic but it's like becoming who you're meant to be kind of uh in an not entirely in the nietzschean sense but nietzsche talks about that you know become mm-hmm. become an individual um but then like in in authenticity is like becoming the they the the mm-hmm. the us yeah. the group mm-hmm. that's very um kierkegaardian um, well yeah he's yeah. the other it would be like nietzsche and kierkegaard um to see like well when you when you lie like is it you who's speaking or is it something else mm-hmm. and like you want your children to become individuals mm-hmm. right. you know of course part mm-hmm. part of a whole you know society mm-hmm. not like you know not the ubermensch yeah, yeah, <laughs> individualistic yeah. attitude but individual in the sense of they own who they are mm-hmm. and by lying I, I don't think you actually reveal that right i think you you again you you want a narrative about yourself to people you want them to interpret you one way mm-hmm. so therefore you lie to get them to interpret you that way um and then one day you're going to probably reveal yourself uh-huh. and they have to reinterpret. I yeah. think what you were talking about, Father, is, uh, you know, being open to reinterpretation, I would say. Mm, yeah. You know, after you've mm. been, like, with new information, you know, it's like a text. Yeah. If you if you take, again, the world, people, interactions as, like, a, a piece of art, you know, you might think this guy painted this thing because his mother died at a young age. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, actually, that's not true. Uh, she died very old and had a great relationship. Well, now you have to reinterpret what mm. you think this painting means. Mm-hmm. The same thing with people. I think if they, you know, if they hurt you, you have to reinterpret with right. this new information, mm-hmm. which is hard. But yeah, I think. Oh well, yeah, and that's like that's a really hard question that I don't have an answer for immediately. Is just how do you rebuild a trust? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when when someone says, "I can't." Enter a relationship because because I got burned from my last one. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Yeah, it seems like the, it's definitely the human condition to, uh, and this is not necessarily like pathological, um, that we start to take our experiences, positive or negative, and then like then use that as a filter for the whole world. You know what I'm saying? It's like why why can't we just naturally like go through pain or go through struggle where somebody betrays you, but then be like, that's you and that's your isolated self. And I'm just going to do that again. It's like, I don't think that's how we function. Like Mm. we, we operate in a way that's like, well, this must be true of all reality. And we just kind of like, yeah, (laughs) Uh, for better, for worse though. It's like, if you could do that in the right way, there is a truth about reality that's interconnected like that. Um, But once you have those little lies, then you just, you kind of go crazy with it. And yeah, it does take a while to get back. Yeah. That was, I think Michael O'Brien wrote a line, uh, Blessed are they who maintain objectivity and subjective suffering. Mm. Uh, being able to separate yourself out from that, you know, your whole world is shattered when you're, you know, when someone you love deeply um, burns their bridge with you. Mm-hmm. But to be able to step back, that's like a, it's an immense act of the will. <laughs> um, yeah. But to step back from that and say, well, this was this one person, is the world really like this or not? And and can I actually be objective in approaching? Um, other parts of reality and other people, even though if my entire world was shattered. It reminds me a little bit of like shadow integration and such. Um, I'm trying to cue up the union in the, in yeah. the room here. <laughs> <laughs> what are your that's thoughts your on shadows? Lee, that's your cue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think, uh, so you're saying like um, the the shadow side of you that wants to I guess hide the, the the negative. Well, it's like parts. how do you how do you integrate the shadow without either you either have the the options of returning to naivety, so like mm-hmm. no shadow, or becoming the shadow. Right, right. So like yeah. how do you incorporate that? Yeah, integrating it to become a more mature. Whole. Yeah, Individual. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, right. Back to that. right, exactly. Mm-hmm. That's true. Your in, the integration the integration of the shadow is part of um, 
Jung's individuation process, which is mm-hmm. to become an individual and not the the, right. the mask they. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's that's a good question uh, about how how to integrate that. I, w- I would say it's um, of course Jung's. You have the capacity to do these things, but that does not necessarily mean that that you should you should act on them. That's part of it, mm. you know. So you know, m- maybe realizing you have the capacity to warp the world how you want it to be warped, and play by your own rules, but uh, is is that something you should do? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second part of it is um, just in the name. You know, the shadow is on uh, the negative side. There's a positive side, which is like your hidden potential that mm-hmm. you need to bring to the light. But on the negative side, it it, it works um, in the metaphor of like well. Uh, you need light on on the shadow to truly reveal uh, who you are, um, and I right. and I think that's that's partly how you integrate it. I think is in, in Peterson mentions this is like you can't reveal if you can't reveal yourself to yourself, mm-hmm. and you can't reveal yourself to others. Mm. So part of that is an honest, hard look at mm. your shadow, and if there is anything there, then you might have to. Uh, you know kind of expose yourself to those who you've lied to maybe right yeah i think of i mean the the even the word potential like you're like you were saying the the positive side of the shadows like your hidden potential even potential is an ambiguous term because it's like also associated with chaos right you know what i'm saying so it's like your hidden chaos is like either good or bad it's like all the potentialities that you could be are not in order yet so that could be really bad or really good yeah. And if you don't right. let yourself see that, then you're not going to go anywhere. Right. Right. Yeah. You 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 have to organize it one way or the other. If right. it's the bad chaos, you mm-hmm. have to organize that and yep. um, bring it to light uh, to to heal it or mm-hmm. to mend it to integrate it, whatever it is. Or if it's even like your good potential, um, right. that's still like you said chaotic, and mm-hmm. you need to order it towards something or aim it towards something mm-hmm. to develop it. That's that's a good point. I want to. Um... Circle back on what you were saying about the individual versus the the they, right? Like, um, are you just acting uh, in a group and just believing what everyone believes and not really being authentic to yourself and becoming an individual? Because I'm reminded of, so Kierkegaard's idea of authenticity uh, essentially would say that you have to be true to yourself even if you're breaking away from societal norms. Mm. And he was, you know, he would use the... um, the Danish Christian church that he was a part of as an example. I'm saying like so many people, and we see this in, you know, our society today. This is not just, you know, um, the Danish church. But, you know, how many people are going to mass every Sunday because that's what everyone does? Right. And I I think Kierkegaard would say that that's not being authentic. Mm. And that if you were truly authentic, you would question why you're going to church. And maybe even... Not go, not go to church. Mm. Now I'm, I'm struggling to endorse that as a priest. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Please drop your checks off. At, no, I'm just no. kidding. Um, no, no. Well, yes, I am struggling to <laughs> endorse that as a priest in the sense that uh, I do think that there's some um, truth to that. If I mean, if we take this baseline um, that we're all hardwired for God, then if we are truly authentic and we're truly searching then our search will lead us to God. You know, all who Mm -hmm. seek will find. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so even the person who wants to be authentic and breaks away from societal norms and is doing his own thing and he doesn't go to church because he's like, I'm like, authentically, I cannot say I believe in God with the congregation because I don't believe. If he were to break away and truly search, I would hope in theory that his search will lead him back to the congregation so he understands that he, uh, saying I believe in God is actually true. And then he can authentically say it. And in, in a sense, his faith will be, you know, better is, you know, an interesting term, more authentic. Mm-hmm. His, his mm-hmm. faith will yeah. be more authentic mm-hmm. than the others. I'm reminded of, um, I don't know if you guys have read Rabbit Run by John Updike. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, um, John Updike uh, was a Christian well, yeah, he was a Christian. He was a novelist, uh, kind of writing in the style of like Flannery O'Connor, Walker mm-hmm. Percy. Uh, but in this story, he has this uh, this man who 
he's in his 20s, married with a kid, and he just leaves his wife because he feels like he has to be true to himself. That's like the thing mm-hmm. that keeps coming back. He has to be true to himself, uh, leaves his wife, um, you know, hooks up with a prostitute, mm-hmm. uh, just does his own thing. But he's always tormented. And, and this idea, like the the his nickname is uh, Rabbit. And uh, Rabbit Run is uh, this idea that he's constantly running to the next thing. Mm. He runs and runs and runs. Like that's like one of the lines in the book. Um, and... I think he's uh, John Updike is playing on his Kierkegaardian principle that he's never at rest until he rests in God, and that's like Augustine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, okay, considering that book, considering Kierkegaard's theory, uh, even Augustine's own story is kind of mm-hmm. like that, where like you know he's searching for happiness until, like via negativa, he comes like, well, God must be the answer. Uh, I, I I find it difficult to embrace this idea as a priest when people come up to me and say my son doesn't believe Mm -hmm. like what should he do i'm not gonna say well don't like if he doesn't want to go to church don't let Mm -hmm. him you know (laughs) he doesn't have to go to church that's i must be radically free yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. um what are your thoughts on that so it is like a tension between freedom and responsibility and authority versus adulthood childhood like all yeah all that age matters yeah. yeah yeah i'm i'm just reminded of like if i was trying to like uh, scale this down into my own life and decide, like, how do I want my child to live as an adult? Like, I want them to be their most authentic self. And the follow-up question is like, well, even if they go against the precepts you've taught them? Yes. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that, that would be their decision. My role as a father between the ages of zero to 18 is to instill in them a universe in which they do the wrong thing and they see the consequences. And hopefully they're like set in the right orientation and then that's it. Now you go be your authentic self. Good luck with that. Let me know if you need any help, but that's like on (laughs) you, you know what I'm saying? And so maybe the church's response, at least for adults, needs to be like, here are the requirements but we want you to be your authentic yeah. self in your faith. And so, like, if you don't feel like coming to church, we obviously have the rules and, and there's sin if you if you commit against it. Yeah. But, but we're not stopping you. But from, yeah, you're yeah. you're free to do that. But watch the consequences. Yeah. Like, I, I don't I don't know. Right. No, I think that's the right way to look at it. I th- maybe saying free to do that is also too harsh because there are penalties that the church instills of, like, missing holy days of obligation and stuff well, like this. Well, I mean, the church, the church has these rules because it has an idea of, like you were saying, it has an idea of human nature mm-hmm. uh, and what makes people happy and unhappy. And it's, it's very, um, it's very universal in the sense that like it, it applies to all people. Human nature is universal. So saying like, we don't want you to do X because that will make you unhappy. For sure. And if people yeah. say, well, I'm not going to do that, then it's like, okay. Mm-hmm. Like th- when we say that you're living in mortal sin, we're saying that you are not living up to your full potential. Mm-hmm. That's all we're saying. Yeah. And so it's like, yes, we have like, there's penalties, but yeah, sure. in reality, it's not, it's, you know, no one has a punch card saying that they went to mass uh-huh. every Sunday. It's right. like, you know, the church respects your freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can, yes, you can miss mass on Sunday uh, and then the next week not go to confession and receive communion. You can do that. Right. Is that going to be authentic yeah. living? Right? right. Like that's, that's the idea. The church says you're not allowed to, but you can do it. Yeah. It's like murder. <laughs> um, right. Uh, so that, that's the question. It's like, is the church, how does the church see its people as children or adults? Yeah. Because it does have the uh, the ability to bind and loose. So it can set things like, yeah, you have to show up to mass on the assumption because it's a holy day of obligation under the penalty of sin. Yeah. How does that, how does that tension I just feel like it's a tension of like, you know, at some points they're treating them like children, like we're going to create an environment in which you should participate because it's for your betterment. Just like I have rules where I punish my children if they're lying, not because it's arbitrary, because when I send you off to yourself, when you're 18, you should not be a liar because Mm -hmm. that's going to make life more difficult for you. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, there is no like, then you go off on your own or maybe, Mm -hmm. maybe that's what confirmation is. Like maybe, maybe there's like a step in which... I don't know. It's not like after confirmation, you don't get to, you don't have to go to ob- Holy Days of Obligation. No, right. Right, of course. You've now yeah. transcended. Yeah, the law. <laughs> yeah, the law. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's... No, it is true, though, because um, a confirmation is supposed to be that moment of 
adulthood mm-hmm. in the church, right? It, like the sacraments are meant to initiate you. Uh, yeah. yeah, well, they're meant to follow like a pattern of life. Um, uh, Thomas talks about this. You know, you have like baptism as birth, mm-hmm. and you have um, uh, the Eucharist as like the, the food that sustains you, and then you have confir- confirmation that makes you an adult. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's, I, I do sense that tension um, because I think on one hand, the church is trying to be, be a little bit of a disciplinarian with the hope that you will mature. Right. And then you will realize that. Um, in, in a sense, you transcend the law in that I don't go mm-hmm. and do these things because the law says so. Our freedom mm-hmm. from the law. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, our Lord promises. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but more, I do it because it is good for my authentic flourishing. Right. But the, the, you kinda, they have to have both. Right. Because some will, I think, always remain children and will always need yeah. the law. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but some will not. Right. Well, and uh, in, in one aspect, we are children of the church like we call the church mother right mm-hmm. that's not an arbitrary term you know mm-hmm. priest or father uh and so there is a sense of childlike trust going mm-hmm. back to the whole mm-hmm. trust thing that we have with the church uh but it, it's not you know when you get into the the weeds of it you know the term mother is much greater than just protector mm-hmm. right um it's also like you said instilling a world view yeah so then you can go out and actually mm-hmm. you know become the man that your parents brought you up in, right? Right. Um, and so, so that maybe that be... maybe that movement is more existential than it is like literal. Like you literally leave the house and you literally have to like live by your own rules instead of your parents when you're 18. Yeah. Now the thing is, when you when you leave, when you say, "I'm not going to be a liar," you're still under something. Yeah. That's the thing. That's like the whole like American freedom problem. It's like, no, no, no. There's still some, you don't have ultimate freedom. Yeah. You're still under something. And so I think the church is high enough up in that hierarchy of fractal reality that you don't actually get out of that. Yeah. You don't like leave past the the need to worship. Yeah. It's like, oh, worship every Sunday so that when you're adult, you can just decide when you're going to do that. Like, that's not how that works. No, right. And, mm-hmm. and it's always important to remind ourselves that when the church talks about freedom, it's talking about the ability to choose a good. Right. Um, when we talk about um, like, oh, I'm free to do wrong, um, it's it's a mis. This is the term is a little mis- misleading. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you're actually becoming enslaved uh, when you choose because you're not actually acting according to the true definition of freedom. Mm-hmm. That's more like autonomy. Um, uh, the ability. How does Augustine put it? The ability not to. It's it's. You don't have the ability to sin. You have the ability to choose a good. And then choosing sin is the, uh, you are like almost crippled almost in, in choosing mm-hmm. that evil. There's a ter- there's a phrase, the way right. he put it, that is slipping my mind. But that's the general idea. It's like the capacity to give in to like something enslaving you or whatever. Yes, right. yeah, 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 exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the freedom and authenticity are um, intrinsically tied, mm-hmm. of course. So I think, like, going back to my original question about, like, should you be authentic if you don't believe, uh, do you right. not go to church? I think with, like, that whole thought experiment and that idea should at the very least give people hope, saying that, like, listen, if, if, if someone doesn't believe and they're not going to church and they are passionate about um, their decision to not go to church, you would hope that they can follow that through all the way mm-hmm. so that they can actually see where that kind of life leads. Right. You know, well, you that, don't, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you don't want to like have everybody go. No, into, that's like, the thing. And that's why I'm not endorsing this. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> yeah, so the thing is, I think there's a way to do this. This is like a union, I think like a shadow integration thing that doesn't like allow, that doesn't let everything just break. You know, mm-hmm. like obviously you would want your marriage to be sustained by an authentic love for each other. But what if you don't feel that? Like, what if you're just like, I should just get married. That's what I do after college. And then you realize like, I, I don't actually love this person. It's like, are you going to recommend that they split up until they find out that they actually love the people? No, each I know, other? right? Yeah, I think there's a way to keep things integrated, but then like revisit, like look into yourself and self-reflect, and like and go through that journey without actually breaking Le- things. Yeah. Um, in the same way that like even as a you know 15 year old kid, you're in the house still under your parents' rule. Like you're still you're at this point you're supposed to be getting the, I should be doing these things because it makes me 
a better person. Yeah. And not because my parents said so. But right. if you struggle with that, what does that mean? You set fire to the house? Like, no, right. And that's mm-hmm. a good idea, too. Like, that, that's a really good point because um, authenticity, I don't know, like, being authentic doesn't, that, that doesn't just mean that you go on your feelings. Right. Because one day you might feel like you want to leave the house. But another day you might feel like, you know, I, I love this. I love my wife and I want to stay here forever. Um, and so being able to distinguish between like my feelings and what I actually believe. Mm-hmm. Um, this kind of goes important. back to the Charlotte Mason, like am thing, like I am thing. Like yeah. your authentic self is who you are and not like what you feel like you yeah. are. You know, like there's yeah. something still underneath that. Yes. Like true, true authenticity is existential. So it's like your core. <laughs> right. It's beyond emotion. Being. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's beyond emotion. It's actually also about your choices because you think of who you want to be and then you make those choices yeah. to become that person. Right, exactly. So it, it's yeah, that's a good point. If if you're guided by pure emotion, that's going to take mm-hmm. you everywhere. Now, yeah. also, your choices could take you down a dark path, but that is because that's the person you wanted to right, be. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, the yeah, something that's coming to mind was from our previous episode on uh, Charlotte Mason. When, if you're in that state of questioning the church, or, or questioning, questioning faith, whatever, relationships, yeah. lying, whatever it is. Um, there's a sense in going back to your childhood state of strictly obeying because you, even though if you do not understand, like pre eight yes. years old, right? It's like, let me just become like a child again and obey because I have to and try to go through this process slowly again, existentially to maybe relearn the pattern, maybe reincorporate what I was supposed to be taught mm-hmm. Without breaking everything, you know, what I'm saying you can, I can, like, I've had that in my my own faith journey of like, I didn't not become Catholic, but I had to question like, why do I go to mass on Sunday? And yeah. so I become like a child again. Let me just obey because I'm told, and relearn this yeah. slowly. Yeah, that's a that's and that's probably the advice that I would give is someone who comes up to me in this example, where someone says, "Father, I don't believe, but I go to church because that's what everyone does, and that's what my my wife is expecting mm-hmm. me to do." Mm-hmm. I would say don't leave until you understand exactly what you're doing first. <laughs> uh, like if you're struggling to leave, I would not recommend just getting up and like, okay, don't go to back mm-hmm. back to mass until – and just do whatever you want mm-hmm. and you'll eventually you'll come back to God. <laughs> that's, that's not how it you know, usually works or it could work some, sometimes like that. But I think I would recommend it. Like you, you have a responsibility to understand what you're doing, right? And until you – actually put in the work to understand what you're doing, you can't say that you're a- acting authentically. Mm. Um, yes. You're just going on your whims at mm. that point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, to that, you know, to that fictional person mm-hmm. in my mind mm-hmm. who says, I want to leave, I'm like, uh, do some research, mm-hmm. study, be passionate about your choice that you're making Any on choice. Sunday. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and understand what you're doing and then revisit and we'll talk <laughs> after right, that, right. you know? Um, and then even, even for people that feel like they're, strong in their faith and just do things because the church said so it's like there's a challenge for them to like revisit this whole thing yeah not to break their faith but in order to like have it go deeper than just i will go yeah. like let it bleed all the way into who you are yeah so that you're the most authentic self yeah it just you know that i remember coming across this idea with kierkegaard uh, and authenticity and just being just really frustrated with the state of a lot of people who just go to church out of convention uh, you know, you're standing up and reciting the creed and you have no idea what you're saying, mm-hmm. you know, like, and that's just, it's a shame. Yeah. Uh, and so there, there, you know, on some level, I do respect a person like Rabbit, you know, from Rabbit mm-hmm. Run. I do, you know, I, I, I love Augustine's story that he was openly admitting that, like, I was living in sin. I didn't believe. I thought the Bible was nonsense. He openly admitted this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my mind, like, that's just so much more refreshing and seeing like droves of people mindlessly saying, I believe in God. They like, you know, right. I believe in one holy Catholic apostolic church. And then they, they have no yeah. idea what they're, what they're saying. You know? Yeah. The secret is that like, we're all like that to some extent, but also yes, like, yeah, yeah, that's that, true. that bleeds yeah. into everything. Like maybe you're just mm-hmm. not living an authentic life period. It's like, why do you do anything? Yeah. Like, why do you raise kids? Why are you married? Why do you have the job that you do? Yeah. Why do you have the friends you have? Because they're just happen to be in your work circle or like whatever. It's like that, that goes so much deeper than, uh, standing up for the creed yeah you know like that's that's just an, an extension of a deeper reality that everyone should 
just revisit like why do I do what I do? Yeah, being intentional yeah. with your lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, from Kierkegaard or Kierkegaard, Nietzsche, Dostoevsky to Peter, you know Jung, Peterson. Like that's a a big theme of their writing is to to get out of the crowd, to get mm -hmm. out of the the they, the us, because that's kind of ruled by a lack of choice. It's it's opinion. It's whatever keeps me in the in group, yep. which means that you don't really have to make a choice. You just find out the opinion and you adopt the opinion. Yep. But that is, I think it's Sartre says like you know if you if you're part of the crowd, then you're part of those who are inauthentic, and those who are inauthentic are living a lie. Mm that they're not telling this, you know, this is a big <laughs> existential thing, like your truth mm -hmm. in the sense of you haven't actually um, realized any sort of personal truth in your life. You, ha you haven't committed yourself to any sort of truth. You're just living what other people think yeah, right. and what other people expect. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, well, people expect me to stand and say the creed. So that's what I'll do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, this this is also reminding me of the dialectic of Socrates and and Christ himself, where like they always started with convention. Whenever they would teach, they would start with what is commonly held, like a public opinion. Um, Socrates, like throughout his dialogue, you know, he's like, "Well, why do you do this?" Mm. And like he keeps prodding until the person admits that there's a contradiction in the, their lifestyle, uh, and their previously held assumption was just not even intentionally chosen. It was just what was conventional. And then Christ, you know, whenever he's teaching, he says, you have heard it said, mm. right? Like, this is the commonly held opinion. He's like, but I say to you. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's interesting to see that dialectic, all of from Socrates to Christ and even through our existentialist yeah. philosophers. Like, this is this is a, it's a perennial issue, as they say. I, <laughs> it is interesting that, like, that identity with the group kind of leaves you living a lie, and then so like someone like Peterson and all the existentialists kind of like are pushing for this individualization, but then reintegration with the group. You know what I'm saying? Like it does follow yeah. that you'd now come into a group, a society of individuals as opposed to just this mass group. So it's like somehow now there's this tension between individual selves finding their authentic selves and then now integrating with a multiplicity of people who are all identifying with their individual yeah. selves so there's almost like this kind of trinitarian thing well and it's it. also um it seems like that's like a, a cycle of history where you have you know christ um uh you know a breaking away I'll, I'll i'll caveat that in a second but um you know breaking away from the tradition um saying um you have heard it said but i say to you he's fulfilling the judaic tra uh, tradition mm -hmm. uh and then the church forms around that you know authentic living but then the church becomes a group and then members of that church have to keep the church in check to be authentic, mm -hmm. which then reforms the church. You mm -hmm. know, like Catherine of Siena, um, you know, would come out like she was an individual that broke out of just the the way things were going. And she challenged the pope. Mm -hmm. um, and that was, you know, in a sense, a, a kind of a reformation, mm -hmm. um, not capital R. Mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> um, but, you know, yeah. So and so, yeah. you know, a, as people get more authentic, they reintegrate to the community to hopefully make the community better. And then the community has to constantly check itself with individuals who sure. are constantly challenging, yep. you know, the community. So yeah. Yeah. it's a cosmic cycle. Yeah, that's um, right. Well, I, I immediately thought of um the distinction of is it the sigma male? <laughs> who, the who, red uh, pill sigma male. <laughs> well, the one yeah. that like I love this phenomenon. It's crazy. <laughs> is that the one who like just doesn't care what society thinks and just does his own thing? It's a, um, there's a there's a little bit of a pop Nietzscheanism. To the the same. Is it male. okay? Yeah. Um, um, what's the meme of like um, Christian Bale? Like, is it American Psycho? Yeah, that that's the is popular that the, uh -huh. the popular it, as like the the archetypal Sigma male. Yeah. Right? yeah, yeah. Actually, I I wrote I wrote I read an article on Vice about like the that Sigma male is the new like toxicity and mm -hmm. like how they've like is adopted because okay. I mean American Psycho is a movie about a psycho. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. So. Uh, the, uh, it's like like this is how toxic it is. Is that now they're adopting a man who's psychotic and right. kills people? Right, as, right. As, anyway, no, as, that's as it. Hero, that's just but. that's just the image of like like yeah, break it. the authentic man is Christian Bale from American Psycho. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, I'm yeah, just kidding. I'm yeah, not endorsing that. Yeah, because 
Well, that actually is a little bit of a crime and punishment. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen it? I have not seen the movie. No, um, I, I kind of know what it's about. It's just been popping up in like yeah. The one culture, time, but... the the last time I saw it, very strange. I I couldn't couldn't sleep. <laughs> so <Hot. laughs> so I was like, you know, I'm gonna watch American Psycho. You know, because I I had heard so much about it. I've never seen it. So at like two a.m. I watched American Psycho and then wow. went, went right to sleep. I don't know what that says. You know, <laughs> now but, I'm at peace. <laughs> yeah, right. There's a piece <laughs> right. in my mind. Like, mm, that's what I needed. Some, some dark filmography. Um, but it's a little bit of a crime and punishment insofar as he he has this kind of repressed desire for murder. Yeah. And then he, he gets away with it. But then that in, in crime and punishment, he kind of dissolves and um, – Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the Skull character's name. In, in um, American Psycho. In American um, Psycho. No, Bait. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Bateman. Yeah. Um, he, he spirals out of control, but in a different way. Like he continues to do it and kind of gets this high mm-hmm. from it, but he's getting away with it. And that that's the part that kind of unravels him. But yeah, yeah there's a bit of a, uh, like, I am above these rules right. kind of mm-hmm. uh, mentality. Yeah, yeah. And he does not reintegrate into society. <laughs> well, that's, that's that's for the viewer to decide at the end. <laughs> um, yeah, it's funny, interesting. Yeah, the, you know this, the the red pill sigma male is a topic for another day. Yeah, so that's kind of a it's kind of a funny topic. Yeah, because right? it's, it's interesting. I should say. It's well, an and it's a topic. recent. Is it a recent like category? Well, you know, you had the alpha male, the alpha and the beta. I was going to say, like, what's the difference between alpha and sigma? Well, that's that's what I'm wondering. So I thought sigma. So from what I heard is that sigma um, is kind of a social outcast. Um, yes, the sigma male movement does have a bit of a um, just like grind mindset. Like wake up at four, mm. yeah. hit the gym, eat well, uh, you know, make a ton of money, even forego marriage. Like like forget yes, marriage. Yeah, yeah. If you want to hook up, even if you have children, like have multiple like women, whatever, <clears throat> just like kind of like grind <laughs> grind out your own life and focus mm-hmm. on like health and money. Yeah, right. Yeah, it says alpha males are at the top of the the male sociosexual hierarchy, while sigmas don't have a fixed place in the hierarchy. Alphas tend to be more extroverted, traditional, and aggressive, while sigmas usually keep to themselves, think outside the box, and have a calm disposition. Yeah, John John Wick is a sigma male. Right, right. Joe, Joe is nodding yes. So. Okay, yeah, <laughs> confirmed. Fact check. Fact <laughs> check. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. No, that that would be a, a good topic for another time. Yeah, the yeah. Pill. The different categories. Yeah. yeah. Let's go. I I, th- I think sigma males would not want to be boxed in, though. That's the well, they think outside the box. So oh, yeah. There you exactly. go. <laughs> um. Yeah. Let's jump to the bonus. Lee, you have some like. Yeah. Intense was... Jungian thoughts. Yeah, well, you know, it's about... As opposed to another day. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they're intense, sometimes yeah. they're not. Yeah, I, I just uh, want to get you guys' thoughts on something I've been thinking about, kind of the the different ways you can um, do an analysis analysis on experience or phenomena, um, kind of the scientific, the psychological, the philosophical level, and even the mystical level. Nice. Ooh. So, All right, let's get into it. Um, if you guys want to hear the conversation, you can sign up for our uh, weekly bonus episodes at basicallyrelated.com. We'll see you next week. Bye.